This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Hey, Christian Chapel family. This morning, we get to hear from Pastor Chris Godfrey, our executive pastor. If you haven't met Pastor Chris, he does so many things for us at Christian Chapel. He oversees all of our adult ministries. He oversees all of our building issues. If you've clogged a toilet, he's fixed it. If you found a leak, he called someone to take care of it. If you spilled something, he helped clean it up. If you clogged the cappuccino machine, he came behind you and fixed it. And he did it all with a smile. Pastor Chris is an incredible blessing to us as a church. He's also a gifted worship leader. He's a gifted teacher, a gifted administrator. Our church is better because of Chris Godfrey. Will you please help me welcome Pastor Chris Godfrey? Thank you so much. It is an honor to be able to preach to you today. Um, It was almost four years ago in May of 2019 that my family moved to Tulsa, and these past four years have been awesome, and we are looking forward to many more. We are currently in a sermon series covering the book of Acts, but we're going to step away from that for this weekend, and Pastor Chris Dow will reconvene that next weekend. Before I continue, I want to invite all of the chapel men to join me at the Stronger Men's Conference in Springfield, Missouri, on April the 28th and 29th. You can go to christianchapel.com forward slash men to read about all the information. You can register there. It's going to be a great time. Listen, we eat a lot of great food together. We get to tell a lot of dad jokes, and the response is hearty laughter every single time. We will hear some outstanding teaching from John Lindell and Craig Rochelle, and even experience some incredible entertainment Entertaining us, we won't be partaking in this, but there will be bull riding, monster trucks, and ninja warrior competitions. The deadline, yes, so you're going to sign up whoever that was. The deadline is April 1st. It's going to be awesome, and it might get loud. Very good. Inside joke. Sorry. Um, So when I was asked to speak this weekend, there are three things that I thought of immediately. Number one. I need to learn to preach a message without mentioning my favorite sports team. Number two, (laughs) I need to preach a sermon where I don't mention the exercise program that I do. You know, the one with the cross and the fit in it. Number three, I need to learn to preach without my security blanket, which has always been the handheld microphone. So today is a new day. We are moving on. <laughs> when I was praying about what to share today, I kept, now, now we're getting to the serious part. Um, I kept coming back to the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. So last fall, my wife, Beth, and I had the privilege to lead one of our Wednesday night adult, adult discipleship groups through a video series on the Beatitudes. And it impacted me so much, and I wanted to share some of the things that God has been speaking to me through that video series. It should be noted that several preachers could probably preach a whole sermon and some on each of the eight Beatitudes, but I'm not one of those preachers. My goal today is to encourage you with the kingdom principles as we do an overview of the Beatitude portion of the Sermon on the Mount and apply them to our lives. So the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And the Beatitudes is a very short portion right there at the beginning in Matthew chapter 5. 
Um, and these Beatitudes are kingdom principles that Jesus is speaking to the disciples and everybody there following him in the crowd, and he's also speaking to us. Here at Christian Chapel, kingdom principles are a very important part, and they're front and center. Even the kingdom arm, or even the, the giving arm of our church is entitled Kingdom Builders. It could be said that when we cover the finances in a business meeting like we had a couple of weeks ago or even in our personal life, I remember 17, 16, 15 years ago, the first three years that Beth and I were married and we would sit down with our yearly budget and we would go through and try to set aside of what we felt like we could give for extra projects in the church and for the uh, give to missionaries so that they can spread the gospel throughout all the world. We just always looked at each other and was like, well... I don't know how this is going to work, but God was always faithful, and it always worked out. A couple weeks ago at our business meeting, I was sitting there a little bit of a grander scale of seeing how much we as a church um, have a goal to set aside to give to kingdom builders, and it doesn't always make earthly sense how it all shapes out that God is faithful. One of the commentators that I was studying this week had this to say about the Beatitudes. He said, The Beatitudes are kingdom principles that upset human calculations. It's just one of the ways that show that the things in God's kingdom don't always line up with our current trends and our thoughts. Even when we were saved, kingdom principles, including salvation, require faith, something that I cannot yet see, but I am purposing with everything in me to believe. The Sermon on the Mount is sandwiched between two passages that are almost verbatim in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 4.20, I'm going to read both of those uh, this morning. Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And then just a couple of chapters after the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 9.35 it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So there's a couple of things here that Jesus was doing. Number one, he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, which is the way of the kingdom. He was explaining to his followers that day and to us, this is the way that we are walking. These are the things that you will experience in this life of serving me. And then the other part was the healing and miracles. Kind of like I was reminded of our, of our service last week where he was demonstrating the power of the kingdom through healing diseases and um, creating a lot of miracles and supernatural things that were taking place through his power that were astonishing him, drawing people to him. All of this is good news, both the way of the kingdom and the power. Because when we are walking in the middle of our lives and we face things that we don't always know what to do with and we face trials and different things, God is always right beside us, rescuing us from it and walking through every instant with us. So what is a beatitude? It is a saying of Jesus that comes from the Latin word beatitudo, which means to incorporate a state of blessedness. But just like everything in the kingdom, this blessedness is not necessarily a state of being happy, which is a feeling. I love things that make me happy, but that's just a feeling that comes and goes. 
But instead, this blessedness that Jesus is giving to his disciples that day and his followers and that we can read that is for us today is that he wants to give us joy, which is a reality. There's a big difference between being happy and experiencing joy because there might be circumstances we face in life that don't bring happiness. But even through those times, we can experience the joy of the Lord. Matt Chandler pointed out in this group video series that we went over last fall that the qualities pointed out in the Beatitudes don't make you a Christian, but instead they're qualities that he is working in us over time through the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Beatitudes are a description of the Christian life, not a prescription. Matt Chandler also explained that Beatitude was used in New Testament times as a congratulations statement. So, in other words, Jesus was saying at the beginning of every beatitude, congratulations for experiencing this with me. Here is the reward for that. A current church worship pastor who's a friend of mine, and he works on pianos, plays the piano just very uh, good. He uh, shared this on social media this week, and I wanted to read it to you. There is approximately 18 tons of pressure being exerted by the stretched steel piano strings within each piano. In a concert grand, this is closer to 30 tons of pressure. The average piano string is under about 160 pounds of tension. There are 230 strings inside a typical piano. So basically, the stretched piano strings are trying to break the piano in half all of the time. The point being, the most beautiful music produced from your life will come when the most pressure is being exerted. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, the, uh, he explains this to us, and I want to read from the message. He says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. And I want to stop there and say, this is one of those things, especially for me, that I don't always see in my earthly mind. It doesn't make sense. Because to me, when trials and tests and challenges come at me from all sides, it's sometimes too hard to handle. And I want to get out from under that pressure. But he says, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. And that statement there, again, just baffles my mind because when I go through trials, one of the first things that I always think of is, what is the quickest way out of this? But he says, don't try to get out of it prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. So we're going to go through these eight Beatitudes together. And they are found in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. So we'll start with the first one this morning. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We often think of blessings in terms of riches. It would make more sense to me if this said, Blessed are those who are rich in spirit. That sounds a lot more exciting. But that's not how kingdom principles work. Kingdom principles take some faith to comprehend. So who is the poor in spirit that Jesus is talking about here? The poor in spirit are those that come to God empty-handed. 
I remember when I was first saved at six years old, and you can probably remember your salvation story as well. That's where we are when we first come to know the Lord as our personal Savior. We are empty-handed. It is a realization that we cannot make it on our own, that we need Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our life, to forgive us of our sins. We come to a point where we realize we are empty on our own. So a lot of times my dad will ride with me to different places, and the first thing he does when he gets in the passenger seat of the car almost every time is he looks over at the gas gauge. And if it is anywhere near that fourth of a tank, and I look down at it and I see him kind of looking over that, I already know what's coming, what's going to be said. We need to stop for gas. You shouldn't let it get below a fourth of a tank for all kinds of reasons. There's a different reason all the time, but they're good reasons. Well, one of the reasons he probably says that is because when I was 16 or 17 years old and had just recently received my driver's license, my parents uh, trusted me enough to drive from Owasso, Oklahoma to Choctaw, Oklahoma for a youth rally on a Friday night. Um, on, I don't know if you remember going to youth rallies on Friday nights, but sometimes they lasted pretty long. They were long services, and then we always would go to Mazio's afterward and eat and have a good time. And uh, then it was about 11, 11.30, I'm on my way home uh, from Choctaw back to Owasso. Well, somewhere between Stroud and, you know, there's that McDonald's area there in the middle where you can get gas. I don't know why I'm not paying attention. I don't know if I'm just too lazy or I think I have enough gas to get back home. I just go right past it. And somewhere between there and um, Tulsa, I start getting really concerned because it is getting close to being empty. And this is 1994-95. I'm a new driver. I don't know what exits have gas stations. I don't have a smartphone telling me where they are. And I'm getting concerned, but I don't want to call my dad for help because I know that what's the lecture that's going to be there. Um, But when I was empty, I had no other place or person to turn to. So I called him. But although my dad gave me the lecture, my dad loved me. And when my car was empty, he did not make me walk the dark road of the turnpike at night alone. He used his time and his resources, and he came and bailed me out. I was blessed to have a dad that loved me and did that for me. And that's what Jesus does for us every single day. When we are weary, when we have nothing left to give, nothing left in the tank, when we are empty-handed, poor in spirit, Jesus reminds us that we are a part of his kingdom. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. It's like Jesus is saying, congratulations on being empty. This shows your dependence on me and my kingdom is yours. The second beatitude Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we can, of course, include grief in here because if you've ever experienced grief in any way in your life, as I have, you know that the Holy Spirit is a gift of God to bring comfort to us during those times. But the Holy Spirit, or but the word that is translated to mourn in this passage leads us to a little bit different descriptive paraphrase of this beatitude. And this is what it says. Oh, the joy of those who are sensitive to sin in themselves and in society and who feel deeply all the distress caused by mankind's selfish ambitions and cruelty of men. And so you can look around this world today and you can even look inwardly. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Our, our um, communities have community sins, things that uh, our communities have been a part of that are not righteous, that are not good. The world is full of things. The world is just um, in chaos because of sin. And it's th- in this passage, Jesus is relaying a kingdom principle of giving permission to grieve over our sins, to grieve over injustice, to grieve over the sins of our community and the sins of the world. Jesus is saying the life of a believer is descriptive of mourning over injustice and those sins around them, even if we personally have not partaken in those sins themselves. This is why believers remember the death of the cross during communion, or one of the reasons. It's not a requirement for salvation, but it is a description of what a believer does in obedience, stopping for moments, grieving and remembering what Jesus Christ has done, and mourning the sins of the world. It seems like a paradox to find joy in mourning. It doesn't make sense. But that is how the kingdom works, and it is a kingdom principle. It's like Jesus is saying, congratulations for mourning because you are doing this with me. I am here with you. You are not alone, and you will be comforted. The third beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The English dictionary defines meek as quiet, easily imposed on, or submissive. But the Bible only calls two people meek, and that is Moses and Jesus. Neither one quiet, neither one easily imposed on, and neither one submissive. Instead, both embodied, as one scholar said, strength under control, which is defined as gentleness. Both of them had moments in Scripture that we can read about that we might not consider gentle. But that's why I like this definition, strength under control. They had the ability to stand up for the things they needed to stand up for. They spoke when they needed to speak. They um, did what they needed to do, but but always with, in their heart, the heart of gentleness. Jesus had the power to not be arrested that day in the Garden of Gethsemane, yet he gently followed the will of his father and told Peter to put away his sword. So a personal story here, having daughters of my own has taught me a lot on how to be meek and gentle, and I still have a ways to go. I can admit that. But I remember one time being home with just Sakara when she was six or seven years old, and she had done something wrong, And it required um, a moment of discipline. So don't get me wrong. There was a firmness needed to teach this lesson. And I had that firmness ready to go. And I was able to teach the lesson to her. The problem is, is that um, I wasn't always the most gentle-minded. And so for 15 minutes after we had had the conversation, and she was so sorry for what she had done, she just continued to sob and to weep and to cry. And I was like, I don't know what to do here. Well, I was doing the wrong thing. I just kept telling her, you need to stop crying. If you don't do this, this won't happen. So I was saying that over and over and over again, trying to get to the point of there's no reason to be crying anymore. Well, I did feel uh, the Holy Spirit nudge me and say, Chris, you've gotten the point across. What she needs now is a hug. Well, I mean, that's not my biggest forte, as we all know. But she's my daughter, and I hugged her and hugged her for a while, and immediately she started to calm down. And thankfully, I finally got a text from my wife that said she'd be home in 10 minutes, and I knew everything would be better. 
But jokes aside, well, it's not a joke because it really happened, but the kingdom principle in this passage is that as followers of Christ, we are allowing him to work in us to handle our dealings with gentleness. In a world filled with so much anger, we have an opportunity to show Christ's love by being meek and gentle. One of my favorite Proverbs says, a soft answer or a gentle answer turns back wrath. This beatitude teaching from Jesus is as if he's saying, congratulations on following me and being meek. Because you are meek, you will inherit the earth. Number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is one that gets me all the time because I'm that person who can be eating lunch and dreaming, dreaming about what I'm going to eat for dinner. I'm always hungry. I'm just excited and hungering and thirsting about what is coming next. Well, seven out of ten times the word, or the, seven out of the ten times that the gospel mentions the word righteousness is found in the gospel of Matthew. And each one of them are from the Greek word meaning goodness. This kingdom principle relays that citizens of the kingdom desire goodness just as much as they desire food and water. Psalm 63.1 says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Christian Chapel, we are um, to be hungering and thirsting after goodness. It is a description of what Christians do. Jesus is working in us so that he might be able to say, congratulations for desiring my goodness, because as a follower of me, I will fill you. Number five, and just in case I didn't say, there's eight of these, so we are halfway through. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Here at Christian Chapel, we fully immerse ourselves into this, Christ, or into, of this kingdom principle every single time we pray the Lord's Prayer together. We did it this morning. Have you ever noticed, or at least it's true for me, that sometimes when my flesh is trying to take over, that I long for people to forgive me, but sometimes I struggle so bad with forgiving others? The prayer that Jesus taught us that we prayed together this morning, the portion of it says, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In the same sermon in Matthew chapter 6, the very next chapter, Jesus even says, If you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Jesus reminds us that it is descriptive of a Christian to forgive others because he forgives us. And he is saying, Congratulations on showing mercy to those around you. Because of that, I will show you mercy. Number six, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Out of the 851 occurrences in the word heart, or sorry, out of the 851 occurrences of the word heart in God's word, one-third denotes wholeness. And that is the meaning of the word here in this passage. At Christian Chapel, we believe this. This is our motto. We believe that we were created to be whole. That's what we pray for. That's what we preach on. And that's what we believe. Jesus is saying here, congratulations on allowing me to make you whole. You will one day see me face to face. And even though you may not see it completely on this earth, one day I will wipe the tears from your eyes and there will be no more pain, no more hurt, and no more sorrow. 
And so when I was preparing for this message, I really stopped at this beatitude because I wanted to take a moment to encourage you as a pastor. Christian Chapel, don't ever give up on God working in you to make you whole. I know that many of you are, are praying for healing in your body. Some of you are praying for restoration of marriages. Some of you are praying for restoration in a family crisis. Um, so, some of you have family members or friends that don't know the Lord, and you, are, you have been praying for a long time for that to be made whole. Don't give up on that. Remember that, not, that, remember that in kingdom principles, we are to have faith and that we don't always see from the beginning, but God is always working it out for us in his time. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to keep believing, no matter what, that he is in the process of making you whole. Number seven, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So I think you and I can admit that we live in a very angry world, and social media probably helps us see that more than we might would. Speaking of social media, you all are invited to follow me on Twitter at Chris Godfrey numeral four. Okay, it is a great time. All the things that I cannot mention in the sermon are tweeted at Chris Godfrey 4. So I need more followers. I'm getting close to 1,000. So we, I think we can do it this morning if you get on Twitter. But anyway, oh my goodness. Back, back to the angry world. The anger, the, the anger can be daunting. One thing the Wednesday group back in the fall discussed was that it seems too large of a task to undergo this kingdom principle of being a peacemaker. Um, the word shalom is what is used here in this passage for peace and is defined as musical harmony. So I'm going to give this illustration, and then I'm going to tell you what we talked about in that adult discipleship group that night. So there's usually around seven instruments being played by seven people up here at uh, Christian Chapel in the worship team every single week and about three um, vocalists. So that's about 10 people, and they do a great job. I appreciate Christian Chapel's worship team. But part of Pastor Lauren's task on a Sunday morning is to make sure those seven instruments and those three vocalists are in harmony with one another. If one of the instruments, even just one, gets off a quarter of a measure of the beat or they are a half step off, such as if they're all playing in the key of C and singing in the key of C and one person decides to play in the key of D flat, even though it's just a half step difference, it takes away the harmony and the beautiful sound is gone. The good news for Pastor Lauren, and I used, this used to be my task back in the day, but now it's hers, but the good news for her is that she does not have to instruct harmony at every church on a Sunday morning in the world. She's only tasked with the 10 people here at Christian Chapel. So my point is, it's not our responsibility to make peace for the whole world, but it is our responsibility to bring peace to our surroundings. Christian Chapel, as Christians, we should be bringing peace to our jobs, in our churches, at our classrooms, and in our social media spaces and everywhere that we go. Jesus describes this beatitude by saying, congratulations for being a peacemaker. Because you are a peacemaker, you are my child. Number eight, last but definitely not least, is the beatitude I heard most growing up in church. And though I personally don't feel I've ever been persecuted in my life, 
Our attention as Christians sometimes is really focused on this because we can uh, read about it in early church history and sometimes look ahead at maybe what is coming. And it could be noted that in this world today, there are several people in the world who are Christians who are being severely persecuted for their faith. And if they're not being severely persecuted, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who lose contact with families and friends who shun them for their decision to follow Christ. But this last beatitude, again, is a paradox in my mind because Jesus says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, which is goodness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. The next verse even goes on to say, Rejoice and be glad. If I can be honest here, even as a pastor, I can say, I don't know about that. Kind of hurt my feelings last week, and my mom is here in the service with me, so I already warned her that I was going to say this. But it kind of hurt my feelings last week when she told me my bald head was looking a little too white, that I needed to get in the sun. Well, it's not like there's been a lot of sunny days yet, Mom, but I know you love me, and I love you too. But Jesus tells me if I'm insulted for my faith and even persecuted, which is totally worse than that, he says, congratulations, rejoice and be glad. Congratulations when these persecutions come because that is who the kingdom of heaven is for. So the worship team is going to uh, come back here today and we're going to respond. And so the question that I ask is, How can we respond today to these eight Beatitudes as a whole? And I think it simply comes down to what I mentioned in the introduction. These Beatitudes are not prescriptions that we are reading every day and we're doing our best to try to figure out a way how to get better at them. Uh, No, these are things that God is developing in us because we are followers of him. But the prescription is surrender. And so we are created to be whole, and in everything we offer at Christian Chapel, every class, every home group discussion, every sermon, every worship song, we give a prescription of worshiping and surrendering to God. Worship is surrender. Living our lives, doing as God has asked us to do, um, being gentle, um, you know, being kind, all of these things, telling other people about what God has done for us. These are all parts of being totally surrendered to God. If you are here this morning and have never surrendered to Christ and you want to for the first time today, I want to give you that opportunity. Um, Our prayer team members will be in the prayer room. And so when we stand to sing this last song in response, you can simply stand and go out one of these two back doors and there'll be a sign pointing you to this corner of the lobby. And that is where our prayer room is at. And our prayer partners are there to pray with you about that or anything that you might be going through today that you want to confide in someone about. But the rest of us who decide to stay in here and who have surrendered to Christ, uh, what I want us to do is to surrender again and again and again and again. Because you know as good as I that the Christian life is a daily crucifying of ourselves. Even as a pastor, I can admit that I go through seasons of my life where I have to be awakened to the fact that my flesh wants to take control again. And I have to surrender that to God on a daily basis. So as the worship team leads us in the song, it's a song about making room for him in our life. It's a song about breaking down the traditions of our life and saying, God, your will is better. Your will is best. 
let's respond with everything within us to God this morning who has given us these kingdom principles that we can live by and who has gifts when we live by those kingdom principles. But let's respond to him another day, another week, another month, another year of totally surrendering to him and letting him bless us, letting him say, congratulations, you are going through these things with me and that the kingdom of heaven is yours and that you are going to be filled when I when you seek me. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.